If you will, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter number 32 and verses, we to look at verses 1 through verse 10 uh, to begin. Exodus chapter 32. I wanted to come down uh, here this evening because we have some charts that we're going to look at and my intention was to use my iPad uh, and be able to mark the charts and, and, and kind of circle some emphasis and various things but of course uh, you know technology is what it is it can be a great help but oftentimes if it's not working it can be quote unquote a hindrance and so okay. uh, but nevertheless Thank God all we need is a Bible and willing hearts uh, to be able to do what God commands of us. Now, as we look at the book of Exodus, I want us to consider the things that God had done. Of course, he had delivered the uh, Israelites uh, out of Egyptian bondage with a mighty hand. Uh, before we find these particular verses, God had established or, or set forth the Sabbath day and the laws that were to accompany the Sabbath day. And so Moses was still on the mount, and the people of Israel were getting restless. And as Moses delayed on the mount, as they would say, well, things began to transpire. And oftentimes when we are not busy doing the Lord's work, things began to transpire that are not good and not, or are not well for us. So as we begin verse number 1 of chapter 32, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together after Aaron and said unto him, Oh, make us God which shall go before us. For this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we would not what has become of it. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring, me, uh, bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with the graving tool. And after he had made it a molten, uh, had made rather a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an, uh, built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee down, for thy people which uh, thou brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and said, and uh, have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let, let, uh, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. What a terrible, terrible event here that we find. Now notice this feast was supposed to be the Lord. As a matter of fact, some commentators maybe even allude to the fact that there was great sexual promiscuity and, and basically a, 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 you know, that was going on. 
that they had corrupted themselves and depraved themselves to the point that they were committing gross immorality, all in the name of the Lord. And the idea of these be thy gods was not just these are the gods that we have seen in Egypt and bring. They were making this molten calf as a representation of the true and living God. And so they sat down to eat, but rose up to play. Now I'd like to take from that Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22 as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through verse number 22. Now if you look what the Apostle Paul was saying to the church at Ephesus about how we as God's children build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2 and verse number 19, notice the proper way in which we are to build up that which has already been established. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. You see, we're talking about, and uh, Paul is talking about how Christ, that foundation, the Word of God, is the foundation by which the church is to be built up. Now, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Of course, the Gentiles are no longer strangers, but they are fellow citizens with Israel in the house of God. And so this, this is what God has established and commanded by which the way of God is to be built up and shed forth. So we see two contrasts. We see those who have been delivered. Both, both have been delivered. Both have been delivered from the grace of God. Of course, one from the bondage of Egypt, the other from the bondage of sin and death. Well, we see what Israel did. Remember, they were to be a holy people to God. Well, we ought to be a holy people to, to God as well. Now, let me ask a question. Let me pose a question to you. What if you were going down the street and you saw this construction site? You saw people busy doing whatever they had been contracted to do. Of course, we have uh, Michael here. He's a, a building uh, construction inspector. Uh, uh, he told me, I don't know what all of that entails, but I do know you better please him or you're going to pay some money. And there are going to be problems. So, now you're seeing, you're passing this construction site. Everybody's building. Everybody's doing all these things. And in the middle of this construction site, you see a playground. Children playing and, and going about their business and having fun. I would imagine most of us, if we saw that, we would stop immediately and call the authorities. Might even call Michael and tell him what's going on. There's problems, there's danger. We would not think that that was okay. Those children can get hurt. Construction sites and playgrounds just don't mix. They don't mix. Now, as we consider our thoughts for today, I want us to consider the work of the church. The work of the local church. And that, that will be our emphasis in our lesson. I had to come to understanding about these things, and that's why I'm so uh, uh, adamant about them, because I believe to a degree many Christians have taking these things perhaps maybe a little bit lightly than they used to be taken. And maybe we don't think that it's really that important as it used to be. Uh, in discussing uh, some of the things that we were discussing in our men's Bible study, it seems that subjects such as this 
people have kind of put, put aside, put to the back burner that we may have more life application lessons. There's nothing wrong with, with applying God's word to our lives. As a matter of fact, we're not going to get to heaven without that. But I think you understand that maybe as we consider the fundamentals of faith, we need to know about Bible authority. Now, we talked about that in our first lesson during this meeting. We want to expound upon that this evening. Playgrounds on construction sites is what we want to talk about. Now, as we consider the word church, the word church, the word church uh, is, that's what I was trying to get, I, I had some slide, uh, presentation issues and uh, the presentation, anyway, uh, it is what it is, so we'll deal with it. Alright, when we think about the the, the church and what the Bible tells us about the church. And one thing that we know is the Bible tells us that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15. Paul said he, if he was the lady, write these, uh, wrote these things, whether they may know how they ought to behave themselves in the house of God, which is the church of, uh, church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. We also see that the church makes known the wisdom of God in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 10. Now, I don't believe, yes, the church does declare the wisdom of God. The Bible reveals the wisdom of God. We declare the wisdom of God. But it is my contention, my belief, that this particular verse means that the church represents the manifold wisdom of God. When we think about how it's organized, when we think about its purpose, when we think about its worship, when we think about the plan of salvation that God has ordained by which men can be saved, I believe that's the idea that the church make, makes known God's manifold wisdom. When we think about the autonomy of a local church, how wise God was that we don't have to be bound by some mother church and what some men decide needs to be done by that mother church, that we have to fall in line and comply with that. No, every local church is autonomous. That is wise. That is God's wisdom. And thank God for it. We do all. By the authority of Jesus Christ. Whatsoever we do and want to do, we do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks unto God the Father by Him. The same thing was taught in every local church, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7. Paul didn't have different standards and different commands for different local churches. You see, Garden City has not been given a different set of commands than South Brother Street and Troy. We are all to be doing the same things, the same way, by the same authority as far as those things that are commanded of God. No matter what that work is, as authorized by God. So, those are some things that we need to consider. Now, what about the idea of the word church? The word church, again, the etymology of the word, uh, it is the word ecclesia we find in the Bible. Now, what is the word ecclesia? It means called out, but I want to show you how that word is used from a, uh, in a secular way to help us to see how it's used in a spiritual way. Turn with me to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. We find the word, word church here being used and note how the word is used. For example, in verse 32, you remember, uh, may remember, Paul, while here in Ephesus, was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, of course, the Ephesians had a goddess that uh, many of the merchants and many of the, the, the trinket makers, so to speak, made a lot of money about what Paul was teaching people that games, the goddess Diana. And note that there was a great uproar in Ephesus, a riot, as it's called. But I want you to note how this word church Ecclesia is used in these verses in a secular sense to help us understand it from a spiritual sense. 
Some therefore cried one thing and some another. Now watch this. For the assembly was confused. There's our word. That word assembly is also translated church, ecclesia, called out. So the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. In order to have an assembly, there must be a coming together. And notice here, the coming together, the assembly, again, in a secular sense, was confused. In other words, there are certain standards that even the Greeks knew when it came to a coming together of citizens in any particular city, there is business that needed to be conducted. So when a church comes together, it is coming together to conduct business. Now in the secular sense here, but we'll note in the spiritual sense in other places. Now in verse 34, but when they knew not he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Now note in verse number 41. And when he had thus spoken, of course there was, uh, uh, Paul had to be somewhat rescued. There was, and when, I'm sorry, he was thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. Why? Well, there was great confusion in the assembly. They had forgotten why they had come together in the assembly. And once again, we see this assembly was dismissed. In other words, there was a dismissal of those who had come together for a specific thing. Now, as far as the word church, it comes from a Germanic spelling, all well and good. But the church, the word church, ecclesia, also describes the state and function of saved people. Not just as far as the Greek city-state and assembly called out to conduct business of the city. It also, from a spiritual sense, talks about and represents those who are the saved of God. In other words, it reflects the Lord's purpose for the church. Those who have been called out of the world. Those who have assembled. Called out to be an assembly to conduct the business of the Lord. So when we see this word used in Acts 19 from a secular standpoint, it helps us to see many things that we need to understand from a spiritual standpoint. The ecclesia, the called out, has assembled, and we'll see that we assemble also to do those things, the same things. Now, what do we mean to called out? Well, first of all, the church is revealed in two ways in the Bible. The one is universal. In other words, all Christians everywhere, no matter what city, no matter what country, no matter where they are on the face of this earth, when they obey the gospel, wherever they are, that is the church in the universal sense. We also see that based upon what the Bible tells us regarding this, we find places like Matthew 16 and verse 18, when Jesus Christ says, Upon this rock I will build my church. I believe the idea is simply in the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Upon the rock that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, as Peter says, I will establish my people, and not even death will prevent it from happening. That's the idea there. Okay? We also see places like Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Colossians 1, 13, through, uh, 13 verses 17 through 18. And then look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23. Here's what we find about the church in the universal sense. 
Well, where does the church gather? Now, you mentioned that the church assembles itself. The church comes together. But now, in the universal sense, the church does not come together. The church has been brought together. The church has been already brought together. And notice where that assembly is. May I present to you this evening that that assembly that called out the gathering of God's people is not here on earth. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 12, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, and some versions say the firstborn ones, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to spirits of just men made perfect. And again in verse 28, Wherefore we receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby, uh, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. The church in a universal sense has Christ as its head. And remember, the church, we are the church. We are the people of God. That people, those people who have been gathered out of the world, gathered out of sin and death into the glorious kingdom of God. There is no earthly organization or authorized earthly organization of the church in this universal sense. There is no authority for that. There is no place in the Bible where there is a general gathering of God's people in any specific place on earth as the church universal. Contrary to what we find in other religions, there is no convention among God's people in the church. There is no conference. There is no headquarters. There are none of those things with the Lord's church, the church of Christ, in the universal sense as we find in the Bible. It does not exist. And so when we find people trying to organize the church, trying to gather the church, trying to assemble the church in this sense, guys, we have to understand there is no authority whatsoever in God's word to do so. None. Not one verse. So let us be careful. Careful about believing such things are okay and involving ourselves in these type of gatherings as far as the church of Christ is gathering over here. The church of Christ is gathering over there. Be weary of things that we have seen among our brethren so called, who do things like the church of Christ crusade, the church of Christ a cappella musical awards, the church of Christ disaster relief fund, the church of Christ, whatever you may see in this sense, beloved, please, whatever we do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, thus giving thanks unto the Father by Him. There is no authority for those things. Now, then there's the church revealed in Scripture from the local standpoint, as we have here today. As we have here tonight. As we've been having out throughout these meetings this week. You see, the church in the local sense, we find people like the Philippians in Philippians 1 and verse number 1 where Paul would be greeting to the elders and or the bishops and the deacons there in the church in Philippi. What about in Acts 14 and verse 23? We find that Paul would talk about local churches and how elders needed to be established in these local churches. 
What about in Acts 13 and verse number 1? The church that was at Antioch. There were teachers at the, in the church at Antioch. Of course, Paul and Barnabas being among those teachers. In other words, Christians in a specific geographical area assemble to carry out the Lord's business. That's how simple that is. We find places like Ephesus, Corinth, and I even put South Brunswick Street. You may put Garden City. That's fine. But those are local churches. Now within the local church, the way it is organized, Christ is still the head. Always who he'll be. But now we have elders and then we have members. Some of those members may serve as deacons, teachers, evangelists, as Timothy did in Ephesus, and Paul would write two epistles to him. We act as a local church collectively. In other words, we all act together as one. The contribution is a prime example of how that is carried out. No authority for anything greater than the church universe or greater than the local church or less than the local church to carry out that collective work that God has given. Church universal, church local. Now we've already established that there is no authority for gathering the church local. I mean uh, universally. But now the church locally, we assemble on the first day of the week, we assemble in gatherings such as this, and we are acting again collectively. And again, as we've noted in Acts 19, hopefully our assembly is not confused. Hopefully our assembly, we know what we're doing. Hopefully it doesn't need to be dismissed because we have lost sight of that purpose by which we are assembling. We know why we're assembling. And it's again to conduct the Lord's business. What He has commanded us to do. Now, there are distinct, uh, the two rather distinctive in organization and function. Distinctive in organization and function. Well, you may say, well, one is just as good as the other. One of the things that I found out very clearly, or that was supposed to be clear, have you ever heard in discussing these issues that we in the church, whatever we do, the church can do. Right? Have you ever heard that? I see some heads saying, yeah. Well, I used to believe that. There's no distinction between the church universal and the church local. I'm of the church uh, universally, so whatever I can do, whatever you can do, we can do as a local church. But the Bible does tell us of distinctions between the two. For example, in Matthew 18. Look at Matthew chapter 18. We see distinctions even before Christ gives commands as to how things are uh, transpire and go forth as far as his people. In Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse number 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Two Christian brothers. Now, I know the church hasn't been established yet, but Christ has given us commands for us. If we have an issue between us, I can come to you or you can come to me. We're still Christians, but notice the difference. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But now, if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. Okay, other Christians. Other Christians. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now watch this. If he neglect to hear them, 
Send each other to the church. Send each other to the church. You tell it to the group of Christians. But if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen and a publican. In other words, you used to be separated from them. Remember how the Jews treated the heathens or the Gentiles and the publicans. But now also notice in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 16. We also see a distinction in the two. And Paul brings out that distinction and helps us to understand that there's a distinction. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 16, Paul talks about the obligation that we have as Christians. And notice the distinction that Paul makes. If any man or woman that believes, now who's that? Brother Brian? Christians. Right? Christians. If any man or woman believes, that's us, Christians. Okay, now watch this. If any man or woman believeth, have widows, let them relieve them. In other words, you take care of your folks. You take care of your people. That's our obligation, to take care of our folks. Now watch this. And let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. In other words, there was a group of widows that had nobody. Nobody, no husband, no family, no grandchildren, nobody. Paul says the church is to relieve them and take care of them. Now, of course, there's qualification that Paul also said for that. There's certain criteria. Now, he, you know, and again, that criteria to me also helps us to see the severity of, of this particular action collectively, the church. Notice the distinction between us individuals, a man and woman that believe, and then what the church is to do. Us and the church. You to take care of those who are your family, so the church, the collective, the local church is not charged. And note the criteria here. Going back to verse 9. Let not a widow be taken into the number under three score years old, having been the wife of one man well reported of uh, for good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. Now we may say, well, that was back then. No, 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 no. I was still believe these things apply. These qualifications apply. Even to this day for somebody who has number, uh, 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 Mr. Qualifications rather, in his other number. You see, there were certain qualifications for those to whom the church was going to take care of collectively. Now again, we talked about the wisdom of God. Think about this. Well, you got a widow. She doesn't have anybody. But she's not as old as Paul says. What are we going to do? How is she going to be taken care of? Remember the church universal and the church local? Does she meet the criteria for the church local to take care of if she's under the age? What about church universal? What about me, you, other brethren? See, God is wise, isn't he? Oh, he is so wise. There's always the way to do what we need to do according to God's authority. So don't say, well, we got it. No, no, no. Has established a way by which the need can be met and still adhere within his authority. So I was there, guys. I'm telling you. Oh, now we we anyway. Alright. This is most evident by their responsibilities and their work. Now, for example, we have a Christian individual here. Me, 
Brian, whoever, Cody, uh, Mike, it doesn't matter, whoever it may be, Paul, but Paul, and any of us, or sisters, whatever the case may be, we all have individual work to do. Now, even from a spiritual standpoint, just because it's me, am I not to evangelize? So I believe Matthew chapter 28, 18-19 is really talking about individual evangelism, specifically to the apostles, but also to us as individuals. What about Acts chapter 8, verse number 4? Uh, four? Men and women went everywhere preaching the gospel. They were Christians. What about the idea of edification? Remember, we are built up by the Word of God. We are edified by the Word of God. Paul even tells Timothy that he needs to take responsibility or gives commands regarding how men are to encourage other men in the gospel. Paul said those things that uh, where he heard, uh, Timothy rather heard of him by many witnesses, he was to commit those things to faithful men who would teach others also. We do that. We call, hey, brother, sister, how you doing? We, you know, we have individual Bible studies. We do all those things. So we have individual work. What about benevolence? Well, we are to be benevolent. As we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good unto all, especially them of the household of faith. I believe that's to us as individuals as the context demands. Not to a local church, but to individuals. We are to be willing to help all those who are in need. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 10, uh, 15. Acts chapter 9. Paul tells him it is more blessed to give than to receive. We already talked about 1 Timothy 5 and verse 15. What about worship? Well, I'm afraid, and I know I'm being a little sarcastic here, that oftentimes we as Christians fail to see that we are members of the church universal. The only time we read our Bibles is in the assembly. The only time we pray to God is when we come together on Sunday. The only time we even sit there and sing a song is when it's done by the song leader in the, a song leader in the assembly. May I present to you that your Christianity needs to be more than that. You see, we're still supposed to pray. We're to go in our closet, shut the door, and pray to our Father which is in secret. We are to do all of these things. We find the example of Cornelius who did that very thing. All right. We have family duties. As husbands and wives, we are providing companionship to one another. And of course, there are other things. Wives submit to your husbands. Uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself forth. We are together for companionship. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord. Parents, specifically fathers in the text, are to bring up their children and nurture and admonition of the Lord. That fathers not to provoke their children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Those are family duties we have. Now, along with those family duties, we have the obligation as families, as individual Christians, to provide recreation to our own children. We have to responsibly provide education to our children. Now, education may be public education. It may be private education. It may be homeschooling. Whatever the case is, that is our job. That is a Christian individual's obligation. Civic duty. We have the, law, uh, uh, the uh, commandments to obey the laws of the land. We have to remember, fear those ordinances that be those powers of God. We have obligations again to government. We're to pay taxes. Romans 13, verses 6 and 7. And Jesus Christ would even answer that question to the Herodians in Matthew chapter 22. We have social duties. Social duties. And by those social duties, we provide an honest day's labor. Let him who stole steal no more, but provide with his own hands given to him that have need. First Thessalonians, if a man don't work, he don't eat. 
And again, we saw in 1 Timothy 5, 8 through 16, uh, 8 and 16, we're to provide for our own. That may mean, as individual Christians, perhaps we need to employ the services of a nursing home. Perhaps we want to give to the Red Cross. Might have to look at that before you do that, but still, if that's what you choose to do. What about orphans' homes? God damn I do not believe that we as Christian parents have a social duty to put our children in orphans' homes. Dare I say we have a duty to get children out of there. Guys, do you know when we were in Pell City at a congregation, a congregation who disagrees with the things that I now agree with, my wife and I used to go visit this orphan home, uh, this home rather for disabled children called Rainbow Omega. We thought it was a, 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 a orphan home for special needs children. Well, we went to visit there one day, and my wife and I were amazed. Because understand, the local church that we were a part of would give money to this orphan home, Rainbow Omega, along with other local churches. Okay? Well, we were astounded to find out when we went to visit the children that we see on Sundays and they just want to get to know better, we were astounded to find and meet their parents. Parents? Now, I know that there are oftentimes needs of special needs children that the parents sometimes need help to fulfill. You understand that, I understand that. But beloved, to send your child away somewhere else and have a local church help pay for them at that somewhere else and you come visit them on certain weekends of the month. I found amazing. I don't know, you know, see, first, uh, James chapter 1 verse 27 kind of hit me hard on that. But that's what happened. Guys, that is not the church's responsibility. Remember when I talked about how the widow helps us to see the severity of the work? Notice, a widow taken in or cared for by a local church, note the criteria that she has to even meet. So what does that tell you about other people? Now remember, back in the 50s and 60s, some of, uh, some, some of you were around and I was not. I wasn't born until 65, so I wasn't a part of the great debate. But I'll tell you, one of the things that I see brethren do that I disagree with, those who believe in practicing these type of things that are not authorizing God's word, always try to use emotional appeal. The little children. The babies. What are, you, are you saying you don't care about helping the little children? And, and even to this day, we know how people are going to make an emotional appeal. That's why when, you, when somebody wants you to send money, the children know it. That's why they got the little child there. And please, I'm not making fun of the child. Please understand what I'm saying. But they'll get the worst child in the worst circumstances and say, See, see please donate to us. Not telling you that we have a lot of that money going to the south. People always use emotion to try to win arguments and win these debates. But we use the authority of God to affirm what God has already established and come from. All right, now, that's universal. That's us as individual Christians. But now, what about, what about us as a collective? Well, we have individual Christians. And the one thing that we, the one 
way that we see ourselves acting collectively. Remember, you have individual action, that's just one individual. You have distributive action, that may be more than one individual, as we saw in Matthew chapter 18. That may be me and Brother Brian acting in such a way. But just because me and Brother Brian do something doesn't mean that the church is acting collectively. That's just me and Brother Brian. That's distributive action. For example, you may have somebody come off the street, hey, I need a little help. I don't believe the church is authorized to do that out of its treasure. I don't. But now, maybe me and Brian might. Maybe I will. Individually. Hey, here you go, man. Maybe Brian. Hey, Brian. You know, uh, he said he needs such and such. I only have such and such a mind. Yeah, I give him such and such. We're acting distributively, uh, distributively right now. And maybe even some of you all who do that. Dare yeah, we say all of you do it. But the one thing I know is not going to come from this. Because this was taken up collectively. The whole church put into this. And of course, it's in the bank account now, I imagine. But when we do this, we're taking from the collective means of the congregation. If I do this, Brian does this, Brother Cody does this, that's not collective. That's okay. But when we talk about collective, we are talking about taking out of the collective means that which we all pull our resources into out of that local church. There is joint participation. You see, we as a local church serve or form or act as the collective. That's why it's so important that we be together when we act. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 18, Paul said, When you come together, and this, brother, I praise you not. But first of all, when I hear that you come together, there be divisions among you. So when you come together as a church, the King James Version says, and the New American Standard Version says, some versions say when you come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you. In other words, you're now coming together as a local collective to do what in that specific context? To remember the Lord's death. That's why I do not believe it's authorized for us as individuals go around taking a little supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that was done as a church. All jointly participated in that. Not sitting and observed it. Not sitting and watched somebody else do it. But we all did it together. That's one of the components there. So there is collective work. Now you still have your individual work. We're not discounting that. But collectively, our work now has to be jointly participated in. In other words, when that congregation comes together as a church, we then act. And notice, the source by which we act is out of the collective means. For example, in the area of evangelism, Paul was supported to preach the gospel. He was supported by the Philippians collectively. Paul didn't say certain members. Remember, Epaphroditus brought that which was given by the church of Philippi, the church of Philippi, to Paul. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 8. See, and I don't know how it was done, but for some, by some means, the church of Thessalonica, Paul said that the word sounded out from them. He said collectively. Now, I don't know if they were having gospel meetings. <laughs> I don't know. But it may very well have been that they were supporting gospel preachers. I, I don't know. But that's how we do that collectively. And again, in instances such as this, edification, where we build up one another's faith. When do we do that? Well, for one thing, we do it on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 18. 
Acts, uh, verse number 20, as well as verse 26, Hebrews, chapter 10 and verse 24 and 25, forsaking not the assembling together of the, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another as so much more you see the day approaching. We are building up one another's faith. Look, we're not just worshiping God on the first day of the week. We are encouraging and building up the faith one of another. We're provoking one another to love and to good works. The Hebrew writer said, that's why it's so selfish not to be there when you can. God understands. Well, God understands when you can't be there. But don't tell me God understands. Yeah, he understands that. But don't tell me he's okay with when you can be there, you're not. And then sit around and say, Brother Brown, I... <laughs> I don't know about being there, but I so do love you. Really, you love me. That's why you're not here to encourage me and provoke me to do better in the eyes of God and to be a better servant of God. See, I'm, I'm helping you, you're helping me. We have mutual building up here when we are in our worship services. But not only that, not only in those instances. Remember, Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Actually, this verse should be here. should be on the top of it. Everything should be done decently in order. In other words, to the edify. Uh, to edify. What about in Acts chapter 11? You remember when uh, Barnabas was sent by the church of Jerusalem to, uh, to Tarsus to seek for Saul? He actually was sent to Antioch, but he went to Tarsus to seek for Saul. Look at Acts chapter 11 and verse 22 here. Acts chapter 11 and verse 22. Remember what happened? Now, the good works that have been done, the Bible says that the tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Now, remember, we'll see later in Acts 13 that there was a church there in Antioch. Uh, and, we, and we'll see this church here. So, Barnabas went to Antioch. But notice in verse number 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek for Saul. So, in other words, he was to go to Antioch. And if you were to have a map, Antioch would be over here. So Barnabas went to Tarsus and he wanted to find Paul before he went to Antioch. And that's what he did. He found him. And notice what happens. And when they, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. That's what the local church of Antioch. And notice the idea. Assembling, coming together. Okay? To build up. Alright? I tell you what, I think it's another time that we can see not only do we find that. Let me ask you a question. Is it okay for a couple of brethren here to be sent by this church to another location, perhaps to preach the gospel, maybe even build up those saints? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe, as we find here, be involved in a debate, perhaps. Issues are going on, and Brother Brian has been invited to come and have a debate with Reverend so-and-so at such-and-such place, or Pastor so-and-so, or Bishop so-and-so. Is it okay for the church to sin? 
help him on his way? Look at Acts 15 and verse 2. Remember the question came up about the Judaizers? Remember we talked about that the other day. But those who were teaching another gospel, teaching that the Gentiles had circumcised and keep the law of Moses? Now, uh, now when they came to that notice, when wherefore Paul and Barnabas had no more dissension than those who had come, and this uh, disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. That's the church of Jerusalem. And being brought on their way by the church. What's that mean? Is it okay to do that? You have a good example right here. Yes, it's okay to do that. Well, you mean the church? They were brought on their way by the church? You mean the church sent them and the church helped them to go to church perhaps pray, uh, pray for them? To, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what So not just in the assemblies, in benevolence. First Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I give the order to the church of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by a store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. When it came to the great famine that was in the air of Judea, they sent by the hands of Barnabas and Saul to the elders of those churches, those saints. We find in Romans 15 and verse 25 through 26, Paul would tell the Romans, the church that he had not yet been to at that time, that they would have prayed for him that the contribution would be accepted from the poor saints in Jerusalem. By who? The Gentile brethren who Paul had went, and of course this contribution was given by their messengers and by those who represented those churches. Notice, they didn't give it to some central church, and, and then from there, no, they all took it to those areas, those churches. In every single instance, and we, time does not, 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, remember, the poor of the contribution for the saints. The Macedonians had given to the saints, and really Paul was using them as an example to the Corinthians. The Macedonians gave in their deep poverty to the saints, to the saints, to the saints. And when you find verses, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 13, and by the way, let, let's just look at that very briefly. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 13. This was one of those verses that people love to try to talk about and throw on you to show as an inconsistency. But now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, for the administration of this service, verse 12 says, remember, this is his contribution for the poor saints, for the administration of this service not only by the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgiving to God. While by the experiment of this administration they glorify God for your professed, uh, professed objection unto the gospel of Christ, for your liberal, uh, liberal distribution unto them and to all. Now the King James Version and other versions insert the word men there, all men. Notice that as in italics, it is an insertion by the translators. Because understand, what was this contribution for? Don't forget verse 1, for it's touching the ministry to the saints. Then in chapter 8, we can go back even to the chapter before. Who was this given to, Paul? Who, 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 who was this contribution taken up for, Paul? Now notice 
How being of a great child of affliction, talking about the Macedonians, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of the liberality, for to their power, I bear them record, yea, beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Pray with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. See, that's the context. Don't let anybody ever fool you and say that's not the case. To the saints, to the saints, to the saints. In other words, like I said, we may, well, well how are we going to help people? Remember, we already said, God has given us a means by which we can help people and not violate his authority. What about those who ain't Christians? You telling me they can't be helped? I'm telling you that we can do just like we illustrated before. I can help, you can help, but I'm going to tell you right now. Better be a good steward. Everybody's not, you're not going to help with money. You're going to help them do things they ought not to be doing. God's way is wise. God's way is wise. You see, the church was established, designed, and organized to the work God had given it. Isaiah 104 and verse 24, Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. And again, as we noted in Ephesians 3 and verse number 10, that the church makes known the manifold wisdom of God. Now, all right. Let's get to the finish here. When I look at the scriptures, and I hope you'll look at the scriptures, when I find the responsibilities of a local church, brother, and I'm here to tell you, it's not as vast as you think it is. It's not as many things as you perhaps think it is. For example, what is the responsibility of a local church? Well, they have the responsibility to assemble. We already know the little verses. Well, in such an assembly, the saints are to observe the Lord's Supper, Acts 20, verse 7, verse 13, 11, and verse 33. They are to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and teach and admonish one another. Verse Corinthians 14, 23, 26, Ephesians 5, 19, Colossians 3, 16. They are to pray together for one another and for all men, Titus 2 and verse number 1, Acts 12 and verses 5. They are to preach and attend the teaching of God's word, Acts 20 and verse number 7, Paul preached unto midnight, First Corinthians 14 and verse 26, all things are done to edify they are to lay by and store on the first day of the week as they have been prospered, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2. They are to support the preaching of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 8, Philippians 4 verses 15 and 16. They are to provide for the fulfillment of the needs of certain, certain destitute saints. Notice the idea of needs, not wants. Acts 4, 34, 35, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Romans 15, 25 through 31, 1 Timothy 5 and verse number 6. And as a local church, they have to exercise discipline over unruly, unfaithful, and ungodly members. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 5, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 15. Brethren, tell me what else the local church supposed to do. Y'all think about it. Think about it. I have the chart. Look it up, and you get back with me. Now, some have said, well, what about choosing elders? Okay. Choosing digging? Okay. And I still believe that's part of the idea of, of course, building up and, in this sense, properly organizing, making sure things. And understand, God has given those qualifications. But now, other than these nine things, tell me what else a local church has a responsibility to do. Now, I'm not talking about generally love, dog, amen. We know all. I'm talking about functioning as a local church. 
Now, now, Brother Harold, if now that just seems that just seems enough. Yes, it is. Amen. What well, about Harold? Uh, now, if that's all we do, doesn't that put the responsibility of us to do the rest of it? safe to say that even when we look at the book of Acts that the majority of work on the front is by individual Christians in the area of evangelism in the area of uh, of edification in the area of benevolence to sinners that's done collectively but even Paul even Paul would remember even when it came to collective means, he was taking up this collection. But what was Paul told in Galatians chapter 2? Don't forget the poor. See, that's what I believe Paul was doing in Acts 22 when he was in the temple. He was giving of his own. I don't believe Paul was taking that contribution that was for the saints to the Jews in the temple. Not at all. But he was fulfilling what he said he would fulfill. But he would not remember or forget the poor himself. And that's what he was doing. So yes, that puts more on this guy. Have y'all ever looked at the book of Acts? And I have, again, I haven't. I've told people, I've tried to get a, a percentage. It's been difficult. But I haven't gotten a percentage. But I will tell you that we, we play such, we, we beg as evangelists, we beg people to, to, to be, particip- uh, be uh, participating in the work of the local church. We try to beg people to come to services. We, we do all these things. Why do you think there's not much said about assemblies or churches functioning as a collective. We do have enough. We have those areas. We've already noted those. But why do you think we don't we don't find that as far as such emphasis on the local assembly for attending all those things? May I present to you, it's not that it's unimportant, insignificant. I present to you, there's not much said by the inspired Luke, because that was just understood. That was just, you had to beg somebody to come to come come and worship with the saints. God just forgave you. He said it's nothing down for you. And they had to beg. No, they had to beg people. People with joyous to come and worship with their brethren. Alright, finally. So the local church. The local church. What is authorized? We've seen what's authorized. We've seen what's revealed. But now let me tell you what's not authorized. Recreation, sports, picnics, Christian colleges, student and campus ministries, all this. Where is the authority for those things? They do not exist in Scripture. There is no authority for a local church to be involved in baseball, basketball, basketball and barbecues. Kitchens and all that. Guys, that's not there. These things are unauthorized. They're unauthorized. The Lord's business is what we're to be conducting as a collective. Now, man, you want to go to Six Flags? Hey, let's go. But the church ain't going. We're not finna. Oh, no. This is for the Lord's business. 
We're about the Lord's business. We're gathering here for the Lord's business. We're not going to get up here and put up a play, a puppet show. Playgrounds on construction sites. Guys, if we would be willing to warn people about the danger of this, let us be willing to warn our brothers. They're playing on playgrounds on construction sites. And I'm telling you, they're going to get hurt. And the hurt is not going to be physically, they're going to be eternally hurt forever. Yes, this is that serious. So maybe as we have these signs, now I'm being, I'm not being literal here, but maybe as we have our signs, Garden City, Church of Christ, the Church of Christ at Garden City, have you want to say to South Burner Street? Maybe, just maybe, we need to put some more signs up there. Signs such as danger, construction site, this is no play area. We don't play here. No, no, no. We have no time to play. The Lord's coming back. And let's build up the way God says to build up as we know it uh, in our verses. In Ephesians 4, as we conclude our lesson for tonight, Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 15, I've appreciated your patience. I've appreciated your listening, your attention. But the Apostle Paul would carry the church at Ephesus. These words, and let us make sure we see the severity of it. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And henceforth, we be no more tossed to and fro. I'm saying, be no more children, rather, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slate of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lay in white alive and white awake, rather, to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up into him in all things, which is the hand, even Christ. Let's stop being children tossed to and fro. Let's remember what God has made and established for us. There is no place.